Gresham College presents Symposium Taking and Giving Part One Introduction by Professor Tim Connell. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this afternoon's Gresham College Symposium, um, which is a kind of event we run quite frequently um, during the year as a means of bringing a number of speakers together on a given topic and having a panel discussion towards the end to tease out any of the points which have arisen in the course of the afternoon. Um, by sheer coincidence, this is National Trustees Week, and so we couldn't have had a better week in which to run this symposium. Absolutely deliberate, I was going to tell people, but really, I only found out the other day, um, courtesy of the Evening Standard. Um, but it's an opportunity to celebrate all those unsung heroes who run the 180,000 charities which are registered with the Charity Commission, plus a further 80,000, which apparently are not required to register. Now, these people might be called directors, trustees, members of the board, governors, or simply committee members. And one of the aims of Trustees Week is actually, firstly, to draw attention to the kind of work which is being done on a voluntary basis by large numbers of people, but also to try and open the field to younger people um, so that not only can you draw on age and experience, you can also draw on youth and enthusiasm. And um, apparently less than 1% of the total number of people sitting on trust boards are under the age of 24. Now, there are lots of words which I think we're going to hear this afternoon, starting with philanthropy, which I think is the nicest word of all, and also quite possibly the vaguest. And then, of course, we've got munificence, we've got beneficence, we've got charity, we've got do-gooders, we've got the milk of human kindness. Look it up in Roger's Thesaurus, and you'll find about 30 terms for doing something nice with your money for other people. But... If you go on the website, like all good academics, you will realise that the National Council for Voluntary Organisations gives you some useful advice as to what constitutes um, charitable activity. Um, because being a charity is not the same as being an organisation that does good things. In inverted commas, there's not mine. Charity needs to be outward and at the same time inclusive in nature. Not in inward-looking, not for private benefit, and only organisations with aims, or what they call purposes, that are charitable for public benefit are accorded the charity label. So it's a mixture of what you are, what you do, and how you do it. And the Charity Commission, which has become increasingly militant in recent years, if you have to write annual reports for them, um, provide an interesting set of hallmarks. You've got to be clear about your purposes and direction. You must appoint a strong board, something which we all pray for, chairing boards. Make sure, that dreadful phrase, you are fit for purpose. And you must learn and improve constantly by assessing your own performance. And the worst word of all, you must be sound financially and prudent. And I would just love to know, um, there's some charities I know which are so prudent, they never actually give away any money, but there we are. Um, there's no shortage of fields which attract attention from philanthropists. Health, of course, is a major one. Animal charities are another. But a major area for concern giving rising costs and the overall impact on the economy, and one I'd like to take as a small example, is education. 
Universities have become adept at running highly professional money-raising campaigns, and that in turn has seen the emergency of philanthropy as a university subject. The University of Indiana was the first one to get in with a school of philanthropy, and I'm delighted to see that our representative from the University of Kent is nodding because they actually run a programme in conjunction with City University, which is obviously an all-win situation. Now, it is, however, recognised that you have to be quite careful. Those of you who are also awake at a quarter to seven this morning listening to the Today programme will have heard an interesting piece about whether or not philanthropic donations are affecting either policy or the direction or even the curriculum of a particular department. Um, I will spare their blushes, but I will simply say one higher education institution, which will remain nameless unless you buy me a beer afterwards, nearly had, they got within three weeks of a BCCI chair in banking ethics. And this story broke just before it went live. So you can get yourself into difficult situations, as, of course, the London School of Economics discovered with the Gaddafi connection. However, appeals can be very appealing. The University of Kent representative and the one from City University will go green at the thought that the University of Cambridge, for its 800th anniversary fundraising campaign, between 2001 and last year, raised £650 million. That was for the university, plus £550 million for the colleges. £1.2 billion. Now, it's only appropriate that the Dark Blues set out in 2008 to raise the same sum, and by March this year, we, I mean they, had raised £3 billion. Sorry, they hadn't. They'd raised £1.2 billion, and the Vice-Chancellor, God bless him, instead of saying, haven't we done well, set the new target as £3 billion. And when you see that the largest single donation was £75 million, from an Anglo-American benefactor, which more later, whose mother arrived in Britain in 1937, penniless with the clothes she stood up in, in 1937 on the kinder transport. And by way of gratitude, £75 million, which means that up to 500 students a year at Oxford from low-income families will have their studies and their living costs covered for their undergraduate programme. Now, I mentioned the USA. We can't really get away from names like George Peabody, Henry Wellcome, Andrew Carnegie, and Michael Minelli. So we shall say some positive things. Um, Carnegie died in 1919 and left $350 dollars, only dollars, it wasn't pounds, Michael, for various good causes, which, of course, was a fantastic sum at the time. And his dictum was to spend the first third of your, one of your life getting all the education you can. Spend the next third of your life making all the money you can and then spend the last third giving it away for worthwhile causes. So there is a strong element in this of people wanting to give back or to reinforce particular projects which are dear to their hearts for particular reasons, which may be personal or professional. And, of course, this has become um, very, very targeted. Now, in February this year, in one single week, I received no fewer than four letters from well-known, highly deserving organisations, inviting me to remember them in my will. Whereupon I went rushing off to the GP to see if there's anything they knew that I didn't and tried to work out nice ways of saying, well, I'm hale and hearty, come back in 20 years' time. Now, the, curiously enough, um, there's this question about do you go for the one person with 75 million quid 
or do you go to 75 million people who will give you one pound each? Um, the wisdom seems to be that about 80% of the money comes from about 20% of the people. Some will tell you that the ratio is actually far more imbalanced than that. But the Cambridge example is salutary. Um, 25% of the alumni donated during the campaign, and that represented 34% of the money raised. That was not institutional cash, that was individuals, which I think is pretty um, impressive. So you might argue, well, okay, Cambridge clearly defined, people expected to do well in life, liked to be well connected. But if we look at the public response, particularly to major disasters, go back to the Managua earthquake on Christmas Day 1972, fantastic sums were raised. Look at the Indian Ocean tsunami in 2004. And I think that charitable giving, doing things for a good cause, quite high in people's minds, and it has a particular status of its own in our society if you look at the way in which celebrities and royalty make their own particular contribution. So um, today we will be looking at ways in which philanthropy has been changing down the ages. Interesting, I think, to look at the way in which attitudes, quite to our surprise, I think we'll find the way in which attitudes have changed and may well, therefore, change again in future. Um, how does philanthropy um, cope with what we may call turbulent times? And then finally, we will have a panel of experts um, leading the discussion I hope we can draw some useful conclusions and I hope that we can attract some interesting questions. So I'm very pleased now to introduce Professor Hugh Cunningham from the University of Kent at Canterbury who's going to tell us about philanthropy old. For all information, please visit www.gresham.ac.uk.